Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. You know, some people have a great vision for change and other people are better at execution. I have a guest today that is absolutely great at both. I want to tell you about a, a man who has had a very successful career at Goldman Sachs for 20 years as a partner and global co-head of their real estate private equity investment area. Todd Williams turned all of this and all of his talents toward focusing on public education. And as the founding chairman, CEO, and president of the Commit Partnership, in just six short years, Todd has led this organization to be the nation's largest collective impact organization with over 200 institutions that have educated nearing 800,000 students. So let me welcome and hear all about this from Todd Williams. Thank you, Todd, for being on the show. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I, uh, you know, I was trying to wrap my head around all the things that Commit Partnership is about. And I'd like you just to simplify. Okay. What is it? So the partnership is an organization of all the entities that you mentioned. So school districts, college universities, uh, nonprofits, foundation, business leaders who all have a vested stake in what's happening with our education pipeline. Mm -hmm. We bring all the leaders together and we present data. What's happening? Where are, what are the outcomes from a child's journey from the day they're born all the way to getting some type of education beyond high school? Could be a two-year degree, mm -hmm. a four-year degree, a technical certificate. And trying to figure out where the biggest leaks, if you are, okay. will in, in our education pipeline and what actions we all should take collectively together, working with each other more closely and not be siloed, and what funding streams, public and private, should we change to try and attack those leaks so that ultimately our true north goal of the partnership is that every kid in our region is graduating with some type of living wage credential that allows them to have success in their career. Hmm. That's really the, the kind of the big picture goal. So instead of, as you said, silos trying mm -hmm. to uh, figure all this out, where does the data come from? So it's amazing. There's a tremendous amount of data already out there that's publicly available. It's hard to access, but it's there if you know how to get it. And what we've tried to do is democratize, if you will, that data. And then there's other data that we're able to get from uh, all different types of sources, including from the schools and from the universities as well. Uh, but then what the key thing about isn't about the data, it's actually making it simple to understand and providing insights from what is the data telling us. Mm -hmm. So, for example, mm -hmm. if we know that in our region only four in ten third graders, which is kind of a key benchmark for kids, meet the state standard in third grade reading, mm -hmm. and that subsequent achievement never really gets above third grade reading, that tells us that we got to be very intentional about this whole zero to eight space. Mm -hmm. of ages. And so how do we make sure that what are the things that are keeping kids from meeting that standard and what should we be doing whether it's significantly increasing the number of kids who enroll in pre-K, making sure that our teachers are well trained in how to teach literacy, all those all those sorts of things, what can we collectively change our behavior or change funding to make that happen? 
so Todd, what are the main issues with education? I, I think I shared with you that I've been on education committees and we've heard all over the nation, we need better education, better education, better education. Right. What are the issues? Well, I think the issues are uh, a few things. I think that um, we have become very what I would call bubbleized, if you will. There are some certain people who are either in the private schools or they're in um, home school or they're in charter schools, but trying to figure out how collectively we're all doing and understanding what's going on within our region versus just what's happening within our local school. Mm -hmm. Secondly, just trying to bring real clarity about what our outcomes are across the region. But the challenges, I think, are really, if I had to say, nail it down to three things, are this. One, we need to make sure every child is ready when they come to school. Um, secondly, we need to make sure that every child has an effective teacher in front of them and that, and that they're led by an effective principal. And then the third is every child needs to believe that some type of education beyond high school is not only expected, mm -hmm. but it's also affordable and it's supported by the system. If we could get those three things right with high fidelity, I think we would make a we would transform this city, because right now we have a city that is very much have and have nots. North of I thirty, north of Dallas, generally very strong educational outcomes. That tends to be where our uh, educated adults are living. South of I thirty, historical intergenerational poverty, uh, less resources given to those public schools, um, and low expectations by some, not by the kids but by some in terms of what those children can achieve. And as I like to say, um, talent is distributed equally, but opportunity is not. And we have got to figure out a way how to be smart and not just throwing money at a problem, right. but also making sure that every kid has the equal opportunity to access a quality education. You know, to think that you've uh, done this in six years and are the largest, you said to me earlier that there are some other partnership type um, best practices in the country, but, but in six years, you're the largest. So how, Todd, as a leader, yeah. all the years that you've been a leader, how, how do you, have you inspired getting nonprofits, like you said, nonprofit people, business people, the school district people, volunteer people, just people with passion, how did you get them so involved in this to be as large as it is? I'd say this, I think everybody fundamentally understands the importance of education. That's not the hard sell. Okay. The, 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 what's convincing is having a set of strategies that people can believe in and that you can show results from those strategies that they're willing to put more capital behind. We are really blessed here in Dallas by a couple of things. There's a lot of human talent in this region that once, if inspired by a vision and inspired by a mission, will join. Secondly, we're a very, very philanthropic community. So, you know, our, for our budget our first year was less than a million dollars. This year, probably it's almost nine million dollars. Wow. And, and the reason we've been able to get to that level is because we've had some early wins, some good results. We've built trust, and I always say that you, know, you build trust, uh, progress is, happens at the speed of trust. Mm -hmm. And so getting all these organizations to trust each other and to trust this backbone organization that we run of about 50 people is critically uh, important. And then we've been able to get national funders to come in, whether it be J.P. Morgan or uh, Bezos, who founded Amazon, or Kellogg, or other foundations to say, wow, what they've taken on is sizable. It's a mm -hmm. half million students in K-12. It educates 10% of Texas and 1% of the nation. And if they've got an infrastructure that makes sense and they've got some results, let's go invest there. Wow. 
That's really impressive. So where does this passion come from for it, you? Yeah, this passion comes from uh, being one of the kids that I'm trying to help. Really? Yeah, I, uh, I grew up uh, longer than I care to admit. <laughs> I grew up in the 70s uh, in Dallas and uh, grew up in a, a low-income area. Uh, we never owned our home. We had a 10-year-old car that broke down more often than we care to admit. Uh, and um, and my parents told me you got You need to go to college. You're gonna need to. We're gonna need to figure out whether scholarships or loans, how to do it. But I was able to go to good public schools in Dallas. I was able to go to college on a Pell Grant. Um, and on what kind of a grant? It's called a Pell Grant. It's a U.S. federal grant that is targeted toward low-income students to go to college. Um, and uh, and then I just found some amazing mentors in my life. Uh, who really told me about doors that I could open when I had no idea there was even a door there mm. and had more success than I frankly deserve but got to the point in my life where I said there needs to be something more than this mm. and I, I I just can't I can't take advantage of the ladder to American opportunity and the American dream and then watch that ladder be pulled up behind me and not say anything or not do something about it mm-hmm. and that's kind of what drives uh, my wife and I every day in this work tell us about Abby your wife and how she got in Involved in this passion too. Sure. So uh, Abby and I've been married now for 16 years. Uh, She grew up in a Hispanic community outside San Antonio. Similar background in terms of income levels and and uh, challenges. Went to SMU on a full ride, a full scholarship provided by a gentleman that uh, from Fort Worth, and um, and then went on to Goldman Sachs. We met at Goldman and uh, ultimately decided to get married. And we decided initially to start with scholarships for kids who were like us, who needed that kind of mentoring and financial support. Just giving scholarships? Just giving scholarships and mentoring kids. Mm-hmm. We funded um, a, a couple of hundred kids doing that. And then we just, uh, over time, decided we want to do more. And so she runs a, a large nonprofit in, in North Dallas that supports DISD schools, about 24 of them. And she's brought together with those 24 schools all the high-end, uh, well, uh, high-performing private schools, St. Mark's, Hockaday, Jesuit, Ursuline, et cetera, to bring in partnerships. So their students are helping tutor uh, kids in our the elementary schools that Abby supports. She's brought in a lot of uh, strong professionals who who are not working right now but don't but want to be involved and and so uh, she's got a whole team of 25 people who basically work in those schools and uh, it's a mutual passion of ours um, because of the lives that we lived yes you know what's so great about that Todd is to hear from authentic leaders which is what all this is about uh, who have stayed grounded if you will in in being real and so how have you stayed grounded? I mean, you've, you've had a stellar success record. Um, but through the years, from my experience, I see some leaders that sort of go by the wayside and try to be somebody they're not, maybe, or forget where they came from. What has kept you grounded? I think just trying to remember where I grew up mm. and how lucky I've been in my life. Um, um, because there are many kids who grew up at the same exact time in Dallas. They just happened to live in a different part of the city, and they didn't have the same advantages that I did in all sorts of ways. And, um, and if you just remember how blessed you are, and, and equally important, 
my wife is a fairly spiritual woman, and, and so she all, we always talk about to whom much is given, much is expected, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, a quote from the from Matthew in the Bible, and that's just kind of that's kind of how we operate in our lives, and um, and I think frankly um, I have younger children, and so it's also important to me to be the kind of role model for them that I would want anybody to be for me and, and others. And so for them to, to see that it, even when you've had some, some success, uh, it's important for you to not just hoard that success, but also to share that success and to also use whatever talents that God gave you uh, to basically try and um, make a difference in your community. Because I know the city of Dallas that I want my kids and my grandkids to grow up in. And if I can impact that and I'm blessed to be able to do that, then that's what I'm going to do. Boy, we could just clone you. (laughs) There's a lot of people like me out there. There really are. And there's a growing army of people who want to give and want to invest and want to join in this effort. And this is not just me alone by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it's, it's, It's been fun. It's been fun. Well, that's the main thing. Yeah. If it weren't fun, it wouldn't be, it would be... It wouldn't be as the success that it is. You know, all right, so talking about fun, what do you like to do for fun when you're not doing all the things that you're doing? I love to play tennis. Do you? I like to play golf. Um, I like to read. Uh, I'm a big Mavericks fan. I've had uh, seats for a long time, so I go to Maverick games. Uh, I played basketball in college, up at Austin College, and so uh, I'll go shoot with my kids. Um, But nothing really fancy. I'm not, I don't climb (laughs) mountains or uh, do some of those things, but uh, I need to try. In fact, I wish I I need to work out more, (laughs) and I'd like to try and work out more. Don't climb up a mountain. I won't. I won't. Stay stay grounded. Yeah. Should we say? I agree. What does Abby like to do with you? Um, Abby's a big runner. She probably runs four to six miles every day. I mean, she's a big runner. And um, and then, you know, I just think sometimes it's just relaxing. Well, you know, relaxing. So you are getting ready to do something really relaxing, which I think is cool, and yep. having time away. Yep. Tell us what you're going to do. So I'm just going to take a short sabbatical. Abby is as well, and we're going to um, go abroad. We're going to uh, take our kids out of school, and we're going to homeschool them for a semester, and we're going to go to Australia, New Zealand, and China, and Europe, and just, and frankly, in the U.S., and see a lot of things I've never had a chance to see, mm-hmm. and just reconnect with my family, reconnect with my kids, and uh, and just uh, take a break, just to re-energize a little bit. We it's need a, to do that, Todd. We do. We need to do that. I've come to that conclusion. That's good. <laughs> I'm blessed to be able to do it, and, and I've come to that conclusion. I think that's, that's a good thing for all of us, to get re-energized however we need to do that, and have well, some fun. I like to say, life is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> and so let's just make sure that we're uh, taking care of ourselves. There you go. You are uh, obviously mentoring a lot of people, and you mentioned previously about a wonderful mentor you had in mm-hmm. your basketball years. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from Who was it, and what did you learn from him? So his name was Robert Mason. Uh, he was my college basketball coach. But more importantly, he was like a second father to me. Um, He had high expectations for me as a student, um, and I did not want to let him down. And uh, he talked constantly about the need for us to look for the one percenters, those who kind of go above and beyond. And, um, And I just... I went to his funeral uh, when I turned 40. I had just become partner at, at Goldman Sachs, which I thought was the pinnacle for me. Um, but I wasn't all that happy, and I went to his funeral, and, and I saw just 
a tremendous number of people who got up and talked about the difference that he had made in their lives. And I walked out of that church that afternoon and I said, I need to be doing more. And that's when I started with my wife doing the scholarships and then it's kind of, uh, it's kind of um, snowballed on top of that to, to, the, to what we're doing today. A basketball coach in college, you know, we never know. We never know just as individual people, yeah. no matter what we're doing in life, just saying something to someone can make a difference. And, and um, he obviously saw something really special in you. and That I didn't see in myself, That frankly. you didn't see in yourself. That's true, without a doubt. Mentorship is important, isn't it? It's critical. Um, if you could seek advice, you're giving a lot of advice, but if you could seek advice from anyone in the world, who would it be and what would you ask? Well, um, there's one person that I have always admired a lot. His name is Jeffrey Canada, and he founded the Harlem Children's Zone. So this is a man who took on the city of Harlem in New York to try and transform outcomes in education in one of the most difficult places to do so, just given mm -hmm. the challenges that existed in that region. Mm -hmm. And he's done this for 20 some odd years. Still doing it? Still doing it. He's, okay. he's, he's backed away a little bit, but in terms of how, and he's, he, he has to navigate and work with his local community. He also has to work with pretty large funders, national funders, global funders, to support it. So he's he's working in boardrooms and he's working on the streets, right? Oh, and gosh. he needs to have trust and credibility with both areas. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to do that, but I could always be better. And uh, and he would be a great, I've met him once, and um, and he is a great person. And I, if, I could, if I could put him in the office next door to me, I would talk to him all the time, I would. Uh, he's making a big difference in, in a, a place that needs it. Would you Would you have any particular question you'd want to ask? Um, how to effectuate change in areas of parts of the region which may not be inclined to have trust? Give me an example. Um, well, I mean, think about it. We operate in a city that's been highly segregated for a long time by income and by race. And, and in a country. And in a, and a country. Mm -hmm. And so when you're, when you're navigating those regions mm -hmm. and you're working with those communities, there's going to be, everybody's going to have biases both ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to basically, how do you find common ground? Right. And I think he's done that as well as anybody. And, um, and, and trying to find people who have got that skill set. Uh, so what were the secrets? How did you create that trust? How did you make that cr trust per perpetuate? How did you bring funders to the table even more so than we have today? Because his organization is bigger than Commit significantly. Um, and, um, and by the way, he's just one of the funniest men I've ever met. Oh, yes. A great sense of humor. Well, he's real. He's very real. Extraordinarily real. Isn't that part of what building trust yeah. in companies, too? I mean, you had 20 years at, at Goldman. And, and what do we know? I can tell you from doing leadership programs in companies, the number one issue is trust. Mm -hmm. Why Why is that so hard? Well, you know, as someone said to me, when people leave an organization, they don't leave the organization. They quit the leader often. And so trust is critical. And, and as I've, when I worked at Goldman and as I've tried to build Commit, the key, two key things I've always focused on, which is one, hire your people one by one. Be very, very intentional. Don't settle. Make sure you try and get the best talent you can, even if it's going to take you longer and you have to pay more for it. 
the second thing I would say is set a vision that inspires them. Because if you set a vision that inspires them, whether it's making money at Goldman or whether it's having impact in Dallas, and they believe that you are capable of helping execute that vision, you will attract talent that you otherwise might find hard to attract. Uh, but then you have to be, they have to believe that you believe in them and that you believe in and, and are purposely mentoring their career. Um, because the more you invest in them and the more you grow them and push them and help them and support them, the better leader they're going to be. Sometimes the, the more ineffectual leaders are the ones that when they get to a certain level, they seem hesitant to have really strong people around them because hmm. uh, it sets them apart. I, I think that I, if I could be in an organization where everybody that I worked with was, was as talented or more talented than me, then I've had success because this, this challenges that we're trying to take on education, they are huge. Mm -hmm. And there's no way we're going to have success unless we've got the best and the brightest people who are mission-oriented doing this work. Mm -hmm. Those are wonderful things to share, you know, Todd. This, um, this trust and starting at the top and keeping people inspired um, is extremely important. But in a large organization, let's just take Goldman or any large organization, how is that possible with so many people? Well, I think you've got to stay grounded in some core values. Okay. And you've got to behave regardless of whether you're a group of 50 people or 50,000. Whatever actions leadership take need to mirror those values every day. There you go. And sometimes that's going to make, cause some tough decisions to be made. Mm -hmm. But if you stick to the values and you recruit on those values, you'll retain on those values. And that's kind of how I think about this work. Well, you just said something really key, which is uh, hire someone that has the values. Mm -hmm. And be explicit about what they are. And be explicit, that's mm -hmm. right. The other thing that comes to mind, Todd, is in all of this work that you're trying to do, are doing with, um, with the students, you mentioned that it's sometimes difficult to make sure that they're ready to go to school and that they stay inspired to stay in school. Right. And that leads me to the word self-confidence. Mm -hmm. um, you gained that strong self-confidence somewhere along the line. And where did it start with you to, to, to really own who you are and, you know, um, sit up straight and and walk in with confidence because I, I just find that in today's world one of the things I'm often asked to do is help someone gain more self-confidence. Mm -hmm. We all have those times when we lack it or when we fall on our uh, tush and go, uh-oh, right. you know, but where did that confidence come from? Um, it took longer for me than it probably should have because I didn't start with a lot. Um, and I think obviously success helps. Um, and, um, and finding mentors who can remind you when you need reminding mm. that, by the way, you can do this. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you why I think you can do it. I'll, and I'll compare you. This is a mentor speaking to me. Let me tell you about other people that I work with and why I think that you're capable of doing this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there were times when I went to interview at Goldman Sachs, I thought for sure that someone was going to tap me on the shoulder and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Williams, there's been a mistake. Because, oh. uh, you, you know, my first time ever to New York City was a second round interview at Goldman. And I felt like a giant fish out of water. I mean, I just Did was. Did you really? I was so intimidated by that place. Ah. And even when I got the job and I was there for two or three years, I still wasn't sure whether or not I was what Goldman Sachs needed. Hmm. But if I just kept my head down mm-hmm. and just kept trying to do the best I could, mm-hmm. then ultimately, you know, you just gain that confidence. Um, but even in today, you know, even in today's world, you know, when I go in and talk to a national funder, I've still got butterflies in my stomach. I'm about, so glad you said that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, that just makes it even more real. It does. We all have those times. We do. Yeah. Yep. That's great. In terms of uh, leaving us with three or four points, I think, to uh, have listeners remember from all that experience that you've had, what would you say to someone sitting here with us? Remember this. What would you say? Well, I I think probably the most important thing I would say is there's more to life than success. (laughs) That you have to have significance. I think you Mm. will feel, at least I'll speak for me, I feel so much better when I feel like whatever skill sets I've got is actually helping others and making a difference Mm -hmm. in some small way. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really important. There's a lot of people who have great success, but then they don't know what to do with it, right? Other than just continue to build upon it. But if if you're just focusing on your island and not focusing on the greater sea that you're in, I think you're missing out on some great opportunities. Um, I think secondly, I'd say make sure that you understand that um, Whatever success you've had in your life, there are lots of other kids and people in this world that are capable of that success if given the opportunity. If given the opportunity. And, and, and the opportunity and the way you can affect that is so many different ways, whether it's volunteering in a school or mentoring or financially contributing or voting uh, for resources or for whoever your local school board member is. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can contribute. But if you're not engaged, I think you're missing out in a, in a big way. And then I, I would say, you know, I would really encourage people to mentor others and to actively mm-hmm. seek out people to mentor mm-hmm. because it made such a big difference in my life. And it's one of these things where you throw a rock in the, in the lake and then the ripples just go on and on and on and on. And you don't really have a sense for what your contribution, the people who mentored me, if they understood some know and some don't because we've fallen out of touch at that time but just those words of a teacher that said to me in 10th grade or someone who a counselor in 12th grade I mean I don't know I don't know where they are today Mm. um, but I know the impact that their words had on me Mm. it's interesting I mentioned to you that I'll run and meet lots of people and I'll know their names and I'm terrible with names but I'll remember teachers and counselors, Ms. McGowan and Ms. Keeler and Ms. Exner from, you know, 50 years ago, 50 um, years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's really important. So th- those are the kind of three things that jumped to, to my m- mind for me. Well, those are three great things. When you said um, remembering teachers, wouldn't it be interesting if we did know, I'm just kind of throwing it out there to our listeners and talking to myself too, if we did know where a teacher was and we hadn't ever let that person know, or anyone, doesn't have to be a teacher, but someone that impacted them in their life, maybe that would be something a listener could say, hmm, I need to let that person know. 
Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I was blessed enough to, I gave scholarships in honor of several professors at Austin College um, mm -hmm. who made a difference in my life and they didn't really know about it. And, and they didn't. And, 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 they, and it was one of the best uh, times of my life to be able to sit down with them. I wrote them letters exactly why I was given this scholarship and the things that they said to me, you know, 20 years ago, 25 mm -hmm. years ago. And uh, I was glad I was able to do that. And what, did, what, what was the response? Tears, both from both of us, frankly, oh. from both of us. That's pretty from awesome. Both of us. Todd, I just have to shake your hand sure. and say it's been really special to Thank have you. Thank you for having me. You've left us with a, a lot of things, and I know the work is going to continue to bless a lot of people, and you're making a difference in education. We yeah. all need that. So until next time when we have another guest who will share some wonderful wisdom and stories, tune in, stay authentic, be real, and let me know if there's anything at all I can do in your path for careers. Email me questions you might have at Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically. <laughs>